Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. Welcome to Nonprofit Everything, the podcast where hosts Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding answer your questions about all things nonprofit. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I am beyond excited today. I was having a fangirl moment with our guest expert uh, that agreed to come on. So we have Beth Cantor, and I'm sure you have heard her name. Uh, Welcome, Beth, by the way. Great. Thank you so much, Stacey, for inviting me to join you on your podcast. (laughs) Yeah, Thank you so much for being here. So a little bit of background on Beth, uh, although I'm sure uh, her reputation and stellar work uh, speaks for itself. Um, Beth is an internationally recognized thought leader and trainer in digital transformation and well-being in the nonprofit workplace. She is the co-author of the award-winning Happy Healthy Nonprofit, Impact Without Burnout, and co-author with Allison Fine of The Smart Nonprofit. Named one of the most influential women in technology by Fast Company and recipient of the N10 Lifetime Achievement Award, she has over three decades of experience in designing and delivering training programs for nonprofits and foundations. As a sought-after keynote speaker and workshop leader, she has presented at nonprofit conferences around the world to thousands of nonprofits. You can learn more about Beth at www.bethcantor.org. That's B-E-T-H-K-A-N-T-E-R.org. We will be putting uh, that link as well as the links to uh, any resources and some of, and of course, the books that Beth has written in the show notes. So with that said, welcome. And uh, gosh, is there anything we missed in the bio, Beth, that you want to share for our lis- with our listeners? Oh, you did a great job of um, covering my background. (laughs) Thank you. She's very modest, folks. So um, we are going to dive right into the question. Artificial intelligence is clearly the hot topic these days. Do you have any recommendations on how we should go about deciding whether to use AI in our organization? And if we do how to get started, and what types of projects make the most sense to use AI. Beth, I'll let you take it from here. Uh, great. Uh, what a, what a, f- a great question. So, um, so, so let me break it down. All right. So the first is like, kind of, should we, should we use it or not? Um, or maybe can we avoid using it or can we just ignore it? And I would say the simple answer to that is no, um, because um, despite the amount of hype <laughs> that we've been seeing over the last couple of months, this is really a, what's known as a disruptive technology. Um, I know that's scary words, but the basically it is similar to the, you know, um, uh, the introduction of the mobile phone, of the internet, social media, and the cur- personal computer in the workplace. It's really going to dramatically change the, the way we do our work. Um, and um, so it's something that we do need to pay attention to, um, especially leaders. This is not just a technical tool that you're going to grab off the shelf and use. It's way more powerful than previous generations of um unquote, unquote, uh, disruptive technology. So what's different about this? Um, 
So the, the thing that's different about it is um, the one thing is that it's had a really fast adoption curve compared to other types of technologies. Now, uh, in the uh, one metric that Silicon Valley, I'm right sitting here in the middle of Silicon Valley, likes to use is 1 million active users. Now, TikTok, which is a very popular app, um, took um, at least a couple of months, if not six months, to get to 1 million active users. And GPT chat or chat GPT has done that in, in, in less than a month, right? So oh, wow. it's going to have widespread adoption. And, um, and the thing that's different from this, um, from other generations of, uh, of new technologies, is that it's actually making decisions for us. So the way it works is that it uses data, large data sets. And uh, Allison and I like to say library of Congress-sized data sets. Oh, wow. um, and it can do an analysis way faster than we can do it. And, um, and then come up with a task or a decision based on what we've asked it to do. So let's take chat GPT. Chat GPT is a language model. And what it's trained to do is to recognize patterns and words and, um, and then generate text or new text or new images or new videos based on that. And it mimics human intelligence. It's not as smart as us yet, or nor does it have uh, human empathy or other qualities of humans, but it does have, it's a step more advanced than previous generations of artificial intelligence in that it can um, do more coordination and writing tasks as opposed to just grunt work, filling out forms and whatnot. So that's the thing that is um, at the same time, both exciting and also scary because I mean, one hand we're hearing a lot, oh, it's going to kill our jobs. Um, not all jobs can be automated, nor should they. Nonprofit leaders really shouldn't look at this technology as a cheap replacement for staff. Okay, so we really in the nonprofit sector, leaders should be thinking about this technology to use to augment their human staff, right? It's just to think of it more as an opportunity to hire on a bunch of virtual assistants or have a whole army of interns there ready to help you with various tasks. So it can free up staff time to really do the work that they came in the sector um, to do. I really appreciate you just addressing that right, right out of the gate, right? Because I do think it's a fear and we hear people, you know, they're worried about the change. They're worried about what the future of the workforce looks like. Um, I'm curious to know, I, I mean, I've heard other other people who are studying AI and are much smarter than I am on it talk about the idea of there may be actually positions that are hired that are AI specific about how to work with AI in your organization or how to communicate with chat GPT as an example. So, so there could actually even be while well, you're saving time with some of those more, you know, rote tasks that you might need someone who really understands how how to leverage, um, you know, something like a chat GPT. Have you heard of things like this? I've heard yeah. the role described as kind of like a lion tamer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you want to tame the lion so it doesn't just eat 
the general public, if you will. Yeah. yeah. But um, but the thing that's different, it's not like let's oh we're going to just hire a, a chat GPT or an artificial intelligence expert and they're going to go in the corner and do their job, because really this can be integrated in all jobs. And what leaders should be thinking about really is um, what is the reskilling that we need to to do uh, for our staff. And what does this free us up to be able to do? Um, in our book, we call this the dividend of time because we don't want people to use it and just to not the change the way they're working and just continue to just do more and more and more, but faster, right? No. What this is giving us is this unique gift of the gift of time, right? So we can make time for these really human-centered types of um, tasks that are in our job, like cultivating donors, building relationships, caring for the people that our organization serves, right? Or in just the workplace and internally, being able to like take a breath or maybe switch to a four-day work week, right? Or to have that time to plan and to be innovative and creative and to be, well, more human, Imagine, imagine that, right? That that really ties into some of the other work you've done with the Happy Healthy Nonprofit um, about, you know, burnout shouldn't be something we're bragging about, right? And and how do we integrate more, you know, care and well-being into our lives? Um, and this may be one tool potentially from what you're saying to do just that. Yes, if we have the courage, right, to really look at the way we're working and the way we're leading and make some changes because it's not going to happen. Otherwise the tool isn't going to do that for us. Right. Mm -hmm. And the other thing we need to be really careful of is that um, we need to like really lead with our values and like make a pledge to do no harm because these tools, if we're not careful and we don't really understand how they're used and we're just sending it over to an hire an AI expert and just let them deal with it or send it down the hall to the IT people. We really, leaders have to really understand that these tools are trained on data and data is often biased. And we could inadvertently be doing something called algorithmic discrimination. We could be shutting black and brown people, people of color out from our services Mm. if we're not careful enough. Right. Or, um, or, or getting, having it get in the way of, um, building relationships with people. So, or um, most recently, um, maybe you heard about it, maybe some of your readers have heard about it, was the National Eating Disorder Association, NIDA, I think it's called. Well, they recently looked at, it was uh, Allison and myself's uh, worst possible scenario that we could imagine when we were writing the book, that an organization would come along and that they would re- think of it as a cheap replacement for staff. So what happened is, during the pandemic, there's, there was a, just a huge surge of requests um, uh, for their hotline because I guess with isolation uh, is sort of the perfect storm for someone to have an, be consumed with an eating disorder. And so they've had this wonderful hotline where people could call or text or get advice. And they had four staff members. They had 200 volunteers and they were overwhelmed because of the amount of requests. And they went to management and they said, please hire more staff. We're overwhelmed. We can't serve all of the need here. And um, please do this or or we'll unionize, right? So what senior leadership did was uh, create a bot, gave pink slips to the employees, put the bot to answer people's questions about eating disorders, often people may be coming in crisis. And um, and the, the bot wasn't properly tested 
and it was give, dispensing harmful information. So they had uh. to take it down. And it was a bit of a, a you know, a public relations <laughs> crisis for them. And so that's what we want nonprofits to do, not to rush into this as, you know, it's going to, you know, it's going to solve all our problems. Um, but you have to ru- walk into it very intentionally and slowly and ha- be thoughtful about it. So can you use that as an example of it's a great case study of if that were done right, you know, some an organization such as that one wants to use this um, in a way to increase productivity and efficiency, move toward more of those human centered design and and all of those emotional intelligence skills that are so desperately needed in the sector. So can you talk about how this would look if if this organization maybe had taken it more slowly or what what would be the steps to ensure that doesn't happen to your organization? So what we write about in the book, and there's some great examples in the book, is that leaders really need to be knowledgeable, reflective, and above all human-centered. So there was another organization that we wrote about um, also um, dealing with mental health services, the Trevor Project. You may be familiar with them. They have a crisis counseling line for LGBT. LGBTQ youth, um, and they too were overwhelmed um, during the pandemic. And when they turned to AI, they took the time to figure out what's the problem, all right, and how can, and what's the right way to solve it with this tool. Well, the problem is that they didn't have enough capacity to address all of the callers, but they also knew that this, putting this technology, because there's been examples of chatbots being harmed, uh, uh, working in a harmful way to people, they didn't want to put it on the front line with this particular population um, because their counselors were trained to answer questions in a particular way and to be very human-centered. So what they did was, well, part of our our problem is, is that our staff are so overwhelmed that they don't have enough time to train enough volunteers who can then help you know, with the counseling on the front line, right? So they decided to um, design a bot that would be used for training simulations. So that freed up staff time from delivering training to really more on quality control at the same time, increasing the number of trained counselors that were on the front line and thus addressing this particular problem of not having the capacity to fulfill all the demands for services. Interesting. So if I'm understanding you, was this actually sort of an inner, so this wasn't a direct, the the bot wasn't directly tied to the client. It was more a capacity building tool for the staff. Is that, is, am I understanding that correctly? And it was only used in very controlled circumstances. It wasn't just unleashed on to the public or to end users because, um, because they did their homework (laughs) and there have been, famous instances of this happening with chatbots that are similar to, that use something similar to chat uh, GPT underneath because it's ability to learn from interaction. So there's one tech company, this was in 2017, uh, created a bot for Twitter called Tay. And the intent of the bot was to learn to, you know, how how, how to speak to young people by interacting with them on Twitter. Well, the trolls got a hold of it within a few hours and turned it into a racist a hole. <laughs> so they and it caused oh. a problem and they took it down. And there have been a number of instances 
of this happening. Um, and it's still, uh, you know, the, the jury's still out on whether or not they should be put on the front line and used for mental health services. You know, okay. there are there are companies that are experimenting with this, but it hasn't yet gone through, you know, it hasn't had like, you know, uh, scientific approval, you know, it, and it, it needs for something like that, it needs very careful study. Well, and I'm just thinking about, I, I was actually speaking to a nonprofit leader who recently was talking a bit about their own interest in adopting this as an augmentation of staff in some of the programs they serve for, for victims of violence. And, um, you know, those victims call the hotline or get in touch with the organization in a number of different ways. And they, I think they were grappling with the idea of, you know, are are there some basic entry type, almost like if you call a helpline or a help desk, you have sort of the, you know, that online person that we know isn't a person, right? The online bot that answers some very basic things to get us fielded to the right, the right situation. And I'm listening to you going, it still feels a little precarious. You're dealing with someone who is in crisis. I, I, I mean, Maybe that's my skeptic, right? But but is there another way to test this out without testing it out on someone's life that is in a moment of crisis? Oh, and that's why we need to have nonprofits take a do no pledge harm. Um, but to answer your question, Crisis Text Line actually does use this technology. And okay. again, it's a, uh, but the way they're using it is... Um, is that this is that this technology is really powerful when it it can um, go through large data sets, right? And it can analyze different patterns. And so what they did is that they fed it, stripping all the privacy information, past you know thousands and th- hundreds and thousands of of chat conversations, um, and uh, and it was able to analyze like words or phrases that somebody typically uses if they if they're in danger of taking their own life, um, or oh. if they're uh, in danger of harm, and what it would do is then escalate that caller to a human um, or in the queue. I mean, they don't put bots on the front line, but they're using it to analyze in real time the text conversation. And if there are some like trigger words that may indicate that this person is in greater danger of doing harm to themselves, um, then that person is then escalated <laughs> to, okay. to get to, you know, to and rooted quicker to get help. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So it's That's- doing the kind of thing you're talking about, but they, um, and they have a huge data set that it's been well tested um, and uh, before they've like used it <laughs> on the front yeah. lines. Okay. Know? That's what I hear you saying, right? That's slow and controlled and intentional and thoughtful and values-based use of all of this. Um, Absolutely. And, and not only the organizations, but their choice of tech partners too. I mean, we're so oh. used in this sector just to run and implement, right? We don't have much time. Let's just, you know, get this done. Give me the shortcut, right? Now, I think with this technology, not only do we need to examine what it means to be human, but we also, it's going to be a different set of skills. We have to like test things. We have to use human-centered design. We have to get really good at problem formation, right? We're we're more 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 interested in problem solution and give me the tips, give me the quick answer. But what's going to happen, and especially with tools like, chat 
GPT that are going to be able to generate content for us, for example, it does, it's not really good at framing something because that's really a human skill or at articulating what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the thing that we need to focus on as humans, right? Mm, very good point. Yes. And that is a different level of critical thinking than perhaps um, some of our jobs are currently even designed for, but but providing some of that um, deeper, deeper level thinking and analysis that perhaps isn't available. Right. And that's when I talk about reskilling staff um, yeah. to be trained to do that better. Okay. So when we think about, so when I think about the question about, right, so how should, you know, how should we go about deciding whether to use this? It sounds like if, tell me, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you said there is really like, you're going to be left behind if you don't figure out how to use this. Is that a fair assessment to say? You're going to be left behind if you don't use this thoughtfully. (laughs) So along with um, figuring out the right use case, um, figuring out, mapping out what does the machine do? What should the human do? The humans are always in charge. Um, picking the right technical partners or vendors. Now that's going to be less, I mean, for pro- projects like we've been talking about putting a bot to be, you know, to help with like hotline services. I mean, that you would need a technical partner, but also uh, chat GPT is going to be integrated into many different products that we're already using like Microsoft office and all the search engines. Right. So we still need to have guidance um, um, to, to, to reap the benefits because what's happening now, not maybe not so much in the nonprofit sector, but a lot of people in the workplaces are adopting chat GPT, for example, but it's concealed because they're afraid to tell their boss because they're afraid they might lose their job or their coworker might lose their job or they might be judged or in some cases it might be banned. Right. And the organization is not going to have the impact unless the whole organization is using it. Right. Not just one person here and there. Right. And so you need to have a process with a tool like chat GPT not only be trained in stuff, what's called um, prompt engineering, which is how to ask it questions because that's the way it works but also sharing that, you know, what's our, what's our playbook? What, you know, did you learn (laughs) to get good responses from this technology? Um, And also there's a responsible use element as with any kind of implementation. People, uh, chat GPT is known to hallucinate. It's been trained on the internet, right? So that's a scary thought right there. The data that it's been trained on, at least in these public models, is information that it's read or that's been fed to it through the internet. And there's a lot of great information on the internet, but there's a lot of crap too, and mm-hmm. things that aren't that are incorrect. Mm-hmm. And so, and because it can generate something and can state it in a very convincing way, um, you think it's true, but it may not be true. <laughs> so you have to fact check it. Right. The other thing, too, if you're using a public model versus building your own with using something called an API, if you're using a public model, you, you can't like cut and paste confidential information into it. So, so, okay. so people need some responsible use guidelines. They need training and there needs to be kind of an organizational knowledge building piece of it. Two, and then once people, it's been uh, metabolized into people's jobs, then to think about like, how do we invest this dividend of time um, that, that, that will gain from this? Being, I I mean, it seems like an opportunity to be very strategic, um, 
yeah, it, within the organization. I I think one of the things that is striking me is uh, this isn't as so many people do, right? It's the new, it's the sexy thing, even though we know this has been around for years, but it's, it's this sexy thing right now that everyone is jumping into. And like anything, there are no quick fixes. There are no quick solutions. So do you have recommendations for someone who's just getting started or even someone who's along the journey who says, okay, we we need to have some of these guidelines in place. We need to have a list of preferred tech providers or what are the questions we ask tech providers? Are there resources or organizations out there that our listeners can can go research after today it you know a, of course after they read your book that's the first thing i was going to say i well, we have a whole book on this um so i would go there the second place i would go is the nonprofit technology network or n10 um there's yeah. uh, you know thousands of nonprofit techies and a lot of them are also focused on this and N10 also has great resources. If they work in international development, there's NetHope, uh, which has a lot of really great resources. And I mean, there's lots of articles out there. Um, if you want to get to the really tactical piece of it, like um, prompt engineering, <laughs> um, there's a wonderful organization called AIExchange.org. Um, has been, uh, it's more technical, but um, really lots of useful information. And I would be reading, <laughs> especially if I was a leader, I would be reading articles in the Harvard Business Review and at the MIT Management Journal that are coming out and talking about this from a managerial leadership perspective mm-hmm. and what, what, what all of this means for your strategy. I call, I'd like to call it uh, AI literacy. Yes. Generative I- AI, up your AI literacy. I'm not asking uh, CEOs and nonprofit executive directors to roll up their sleeves and learn how to code. But you do need to understand uh, what this technology can do and what it can't do and how it can potentially impact your strategy. And how are organizations dealing? You've mentioned this already, but you know the, the idea of bad data in is bad data out, right? And so this I, this concept of if there is data, you know, data coming in that is uh, biased data that obviously didn't have all of the voices and lived experiences in giving you some of the information. That's what exists out there. So how do you, other than the systemic issue that we're all working on in equity and, and, and working to ensure all voices are heard and included, what do you do in using AI with something like that? Or what are you seeing people do? Okay, so you really need to, um, in this sort of readiness, not only define the problem that you want to solve, the right problem, but you also don't just sit in your conference room <laughs> with you and your staff or yourself and just think about that. Go out and talk to the end users and the poten- and the potential people who might be left out. Um, the, in our book, there's an opening story about, um, and this is a couple of years ago, uh, a, a homeless agency that automated its risk assessment using these technologies. Um, and what it ended up doing in the way that the questions were phrased, it, on, it, it, it ended up uh, uh, closing out uh, black and brown people. What, what, what happened was social workers started noticing that there were less people of color qualifying for services and kind of traced it back to this tool. It caused quite a flap in the local area. And that's because they didn't really didn't involve any of the social workers in the design and development of the tool because 
So I think there were questions, <clears throat> for example, like, you know, have you ever been arrested? And a, lo a lot of people of color won't answer that or um, because they're afraid, right? Okay. And, and the social workers knew that. So, um, and so if they say no, it gives them a lower risk score, which closes them out of the, the services. So it's, it's very easy to uh, get, fall into a trap of bias. Um, so yes. to prevent that, <laughs> you really need to have uh, potential end users and people who are knowledgeable about the programmatic aspect of it involved in the design and testing. And you really have to start small with a proof, proof of concept, test it, pilots, before you're going to full-scale implementation. Okay, okay. And so I think that when we think about projects for some an organization just getting started, uh, obviously there's a huge learning curve and a lot of thought and learning that is is really a first step uh you know figuring out kind of your own values around this and how your your values of your organization apply to this work uh thinking about as you said kind of your use case and 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 opportunities to use this but also I'm wondering if I also hear from what you're saying perhaps maybe a safer way to get started is to start internally Maybe it's a, it's a less visible, maybe it's testing it out on a smaller scale, like you said, a pilot that's maybe more internal to your organization in some way that won't impact externally. I don't know. Is that, does that make any sense what I'm trying to ask? Yeah, yeah. But, the, you know, let's also look at like chat GPT. There are definite proven benefits to it, productivity benefits, right? So there it's more taking a, um, sort of like letting staff just go do it on their own like talk to people about how let's try a pilot in the development office. Let's see how, you know, it's really great writing tool, right? Yes. Okay. And editing tool. Um, you need certain to be aware of certain things. Like I already mentioned, like the hallucinations, you need to like uh, understand how to fact check it and you need certain skills around crafting the right questions for it. So it'll generate the right content and being able to look at what it generates and figure out how to improve upon it. So maybe saying, okay, we're going to try this for some of our development office writing, maybe grant reports or whatever. <laughs> and we're just going to see what we've learned about prompt prompts. We're going to learn about what the, you know, the, the, um, output is from it. And we're going to understand what those limitations are. And we're going to create kind of a department, you know, a department playbook around it. And we're going to okay. train people to use it. And we're going to talk about it. We'll maybe do a couple of lunch and learns around it so that we can really organizationally kind of benefit from it. That's perfect. Um, great advice and, and a good, you know, good place for folks who are starting. I, I would wonder as we look to uh, crystallize this in the minds of our listeners. Can you briefly, before we come to a, a, a wrap, because we're how time flies when you're having fun with these conversations, but share maybe a few examples you you've shared already case, you know, case studies and Trevor project and some of these, but from sort of a lens of inside a nonprofit, right. And I'm just going to think for the time being of, a few different buckets of sort of organizational 
structures. So you've you've got maybe a development department if you're lucky to have an actual department of of more than one, right? You've got a marketing department or communications piece. You have a program piece, and then of course you've got finance and administration. Do you have even just a couple examples, maybe of ones we haven't talked about, of how people are creatively using this for perhaps their work in fundraising for their work? You just mentioned sort of grant reporting or or things like that, but in other parts of the organization, even even beyond programs, but other parts that they're using this effectively. Sure. Uh, I mean, I can take chat GPT because it's, it's here. Um, I'm hearing a lot from fundraisers. Um, it, it's an incredibly useful and powerful writing aid tool. Um, uh, it's, you know, none of, some of us don't like to start with a blank page. You know how it's really hard to get started because you don't know yeah. what you don't know. And like you put that first sentence down and you judge it and then you totally tie yourself up and not. not. So it, yes. if you think about it, it could be a brainstorming tool, right? You can ask it you know, to, to, uh, a couple of questions about generating, you know, or feed in your kind of format for saying, giving a thank you note to somebody and have it generate something back. Um, some of us have no trouble writing that first crappy draft of something, but maybe our editing isn't so great. Maybe we it, aren't saying it in a way that's really concise and we can ask um, uh, the tool to feed it some copy and say, can you revise this uh, and reduce the word count? Or can you rephrase this in a way that's more concise? Um, or maybe we are super overwhelmed with the amount of stuff we have to read <laughs> and, and, and intake every day. Uh, chat GPT is really good at summarizing. Mm. Um, like for example, I just, uh, used it to help me with, um, I had, uh, survey responses, uh, literally thousands of them and they were all open-ended questions. So oh. I asked it to, yeah, you know what that's like yes. to analyze. So I asked it to, what are the key themes that you're, what are the, you know, list the in bullet points, the key themes that you're seeing. Um, I double checked it. There were some things that it summarized. I didn't quite like the way it summarized and I wouldn't have done it that way, but it gave me a way to start because my initial reaction was, Oh, I don't want to do this. So overwhelming, you know? Yes. Um, I found it really helpful. Um, um, I had to fill out a, a, a similar to a grant application. There were a lot of narratives, uh, but there were strict word limits. Okay. And of course, my answers were over the word limits. And I asked it to, I wrote my answer out. I fed it to um, the tool and I asked it to revise it down to this this amount of words. And it gave me back and I kind of stripped out all the flavor that I had put in my writing. And so I, I I, but I saw a couple of sentences that said, gee, I hadn't thought about saying it in that way. And that's more concise. So I okay. borrowed that. So it, it, um, another way it's helped me is I recently did a, a workshop for an organization that's a capacity builder that's doing language justice. So it was bilingual. And I had, we had live interpretation of both Spanish and English um, on my leading with empathy workshop. And um, what I had to do for the interpreters, just so they were prepared, was to give um, a script of what I was going to say. And so, and they advised me to, you know, when you speak, to speak in simple English. It'll make it easier to translate. Yes. So I, um, so I asked chat GPT to, um, I gave it my bullet points and my script and I asked it to like, uh, reduce it to a sixth grade reading level and to make it simple. I don't use, um, uh, any jargon or, uh, idiomatic phrases. 
Oh, wow. I only learned that because I because um, I asked for it to say say this in a simple English at a sixth grade level in a conversational way, and then it fed me back some things, and it was using like, and it's a Kodak moment <laughs> to say. <laughs> Oh, well, I would never say that. And also that wouldn't translate. So then I, I refined my prompt to ask to give it back to me and don't use any jargon or idiomatic phrases. Okay. And it, was, oh and my I, goodness. it saved yeah. me a lot of time because it would have taken me hours to do that. If I went through my whole presentation to do that. Um, I, I don't think I would, I'd used all of it verbatim because some of it I didn't like, but it, you know, so what I guess what I'm saying with it is that there's this learning piece that you have to learn how to learn with it and that you can't just do cut and paste, you know? Yes. But, but a whole, any writing task that we need to do, and a lot of us need to do writing, right? In our jobs, yeah. it can help you and save you a lot of time. Well, we had my my co-host of this podcast, Andy and I, uh, we recently decided we were going to play with this for one of the description, descriptions we did to tease out an upcoming podcast. And we said, well, let's use Chad GPT and tell him. And it was, it, we laughed. I mean, we, we had some giggles over it, right? I mean, it was fun. We said, oh, make that less serious and more fun or more conversational. I, it didn't sound exactly like us, but but we used it as an example just to play with people and say, you know, play around a little because it was harmless and say, look, like this is what it came up with. And it was kind of fun, like, you know. But you can actually um, give it some examples of your writing and yeah. ask for it to generate it with this style. That's or, great. You know, you just have to be very specific with the prompts. Um, yeah. yeah. You can't just say write this, but you want to say write a 600 word essay that makes the case for. Yeah, exactly. it's also it's also been useful. I do a lot of coaching with folks and about workplace well-being and often people end up are like deciding that it's too toxic and I need to find another job. So somebody was um, we were working through like, how do I um, prepare for my job interview? And I said, well, you know, you can use chat GPT, feed it the job description and 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 ask it to play the role of interviewer. You know, play the role of an interviewer. I'm applying for this job. Here's the job description. Ask me questions. Oh, that's great. That's great. Okay. I I love those creative uses. Uh, one thing that I've actually started uh, experimenting with myself or having clients experiment with, I do a lot of work with nonprofit boards. And for those listening, you'll all appreciate how oftentimes the idea of minute taking gets gets sent to staff to do instead of actually the board secretary. And it seems like from, I mean, obviously this is a legal document and we need to take it seriously and make sure things are accurately reflected. But when done the right way, it feels like even a tool that could be used in the boardroom or any room for note-taking, recording minutes. There are um, some tools. In fact, I don't know if, oh, it's here with us now. Um, you'll notice a Beth's Otter Pilot <laughs> yes, is here. Yes. That is a, a voice-to-text tool, and basically, it's taking verbat verbatim transcript. Um, and what it does is it stores the notes by my calendar. Um, it just follows me to everywhere. <laughs> but um, when I'm doing a meeting, and sometimes I don't have an assistant to take notes, right? This will take the verbatim notes. So I can just focus on like, what were the decisions made or what are the key points? It does have an algorithm in there that will summarize key points. Um, some of it's silly, but, um, but I found it's really useful um, for me um, when I, I just don't have an, an, I haven't hired, I don't have an assistant who can take notes for me. 
Yeah, it's a great. So it's uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uses. I think we get creative, and and of course, be careful. I, I mean, careful and cautious and intentional is. I, I I hear that as the undergird, and I think it's a really important reminder in today's fast paced world. Because to your point, I could also see this becoming just the opposite of. Oh, great. We can pile on more work and add more things to your plate because this is going to take time away. And that is not at all what I hear you saying. And I'm I'm really glad to hear you say that. I saw people will listen. I know. Let's hope people will listen and those listening to this podcast will. So, all right, Beth, uh, before we, any final thoughts before we wrap it up today? Um, Again, I think this is a powerful tool software and that we and it can help us reinvent the next chapter of organizational life for nonprofits but we need to uh, approach it with creativity with empathy and being really human centered well i can't thank you enough and i know our listeners can't thank you enough for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to be with us so thank you beth well thank you thank you so much stacy